Good morning, church. I'm excited to be in the book of Psalms this morning. It's been good for my soul this this uh, week as I studied. This is the final sermon in the series, unfortunately. Uh, we can't continue any series on forever, although maybe we could. Probably shouldn't. Uh, If you haven't been with us, we've been in this series called The Best Life, looking at what God's wisdom is for our life and seeing it it only leads to good things. In fact, the best possible life for us to have here and now is a life submitted wholly to the wisdom of God. And so to do so, we have we like to read through and preach through texts of Scripture, books of Scripture at a time, and we have kind of rushed through, but looked at every wisdom literature book in scripture, Psalms being our last one. So for the last several weeks, we've been looking at different Psalms, considering how these songs of scripture speak to our soul. And we're going to continue that today on this Thanksgiving Sunday. Happy Thanksgiving. I don't know if people celebrate Thanksgiving that way, but I do. Um, and and let's just be honest to start this. Uh, family. Thanksgiving means family and food. We love food, right? Family can be challenging. I, I just want to say that because I've, I've been, I'm, I don't look old, I'm not old, but I've been in ministry like intentionally giving my life to the caring for people's souls for about 13 years and never once have I met anyone who has a perfectly functional family. Everybody has those tensions and those struggles and it's, it's guaranteed this Thursday or whenever it is that you're going to meet up with your family, there, there will likely be something that isn't perfect. It's a very gracious way to say it. Now for some of us, family can be very difficult. There's many challenges. There's, there's many instances of awkwardness and tension, unresolved things. There's the crazy uncle, the grandma that can, feels like she can say whatever she wants, the mom who's very anxious about everything, the dad who's lazy, the brother who's annoying because he's on the opposite political end of the spectrum, and he's definitely going to bring it up, so you got to be ready for that. Family's tough. And I say all that because I'm considering what we need when we enter into a Thanksgiving feast. What do we need when we enter those spaces? And there's, there's darker and deeper things, certainly. I'm kind of making light of some very complex things. Relationships are hard. And, and for some people, this Thanksgiving is going to be different than anyone you've ever had because not only is family difficult, sometimes they leave and sometimes they die. There's so many different emotions we could have. But somehow, we can have peace. In the midst of the difficult storms and the tensions in relationship, there can be joy. Somehow, we know this is true if we believe the Word of God. And the Psalms sing of this over and over again. And Thanksgiving Songs of thanksgiving are over and over again because we have a God who does a lot and has done a lot and is worthy of our praise. And if we have reason to be thankful, first and foremost, it's thankful for God who gives all good things and a God who may even lead us through some difficult things, but it's for our good. And this can be challenging for sure. And I don't think any psalm highlights it better than perhaps the most familiar text in all of the Bible maybe the most popular song ever written, Psalm 23. So we're going to look at that this morning. And I'm, I'm asking, my prayer has been, God, help us overcome the, the familiarity of this psalm. 
so that we can hear the liberating truth that's there for us, not just at Thanksgiving, but always, that God would help us see truth to free us from the things we can't control, like family and like life. And so to give you some framework before we read it, this is poetry. So the metaphors are present and they're meaningful, not only for the writer, in this case, King David, but they're meaningful for the reader. And because it's the word of God, it's meaningful throughout history, spanning all cultures. There's not a person who's ever lived that can't find life here. Even those far from God can find truth and life because this is God's truth. So it's a poem, it's a song, it's full of metaphors, and we see the psalmist use two distinct cultural images that that describe this close personal relationship with the God of all creation. The one that's most notable is a shepherd. He's our guide. We're needy sheep. We're sojourners wandering. We need guidance. We need a shepherd to provide for us, to care for us. Verses 1 through 4 of this short song are all about that shepherd. And then 5 and 6 emphasize a host. And surely it could be a shepherd that's also hosting us, but most Mostly it seems like someone who is throwing a party and inviting us as welcomed guests to sit at his table. And so the psalm is full of beautiful imagery that tells us of who our God is, but also it's full of verbs. It's only six verses long, but ten verbs are in the imperfect tense in Hebrew. And that's important, not because you have to know Hebrew, but because If we understand imperfect verbs, we know that it's not just something that was or something that will be, but it's something present. God is present and active every day doing something. He's making me lie down. We don't translate them all in the imperfect sense, but he's not just your shepherd, but he's leading you currently where you are right now. The dark places, the bright places, the hilltops, the valleys, he's leading you. He's with you. He's doing it right now. It's important for us this morning. And King David certainly knows this. And, and the word of God, it rings out over and over again. This is give us today our daily bread because we need it right now. This is his mercies are renewed every morning because we need his mercies to be renewed every morning. He's a present God and he's ongoing. And David's a poet and he's a king. Certainly he knows how to throw a party and invite people in. But also before he was anybody, David was a shepherd and a pretty good one, right? Remember he beat Goliath. That's one of we first think of David, the, one, the kid who beat Goliath, probably was older than a kid. But, but also, he was taking down bears and lions and, and wolves as they attacked his sheep. He was a shepherd. He played music for them. He cared for them. He was tender. He wasn't just this ruling king, this fighter. David knew how to lead sheep. He knew what they required. He knew the challenges. He knew the commitment. He knew how messy it was. But he also knew the habits and the tendencies of sheep. And that's significant when we read this psalm. And what seems to be the major emphasis, I'll just give it to you up front. We need to take away the clear, the clear message of the text is God, the Lord, is with us. In fact, it's very personal. He's with me, David says. The Lord is with me. He knows my needs and he provides them. If this is true and we believe it, it changes everything. For you as an individual, if it's true and you believe it, it changes everything. You don't have to be anxious anymore about anything. There's no worry anywhere if you believe this. You don't have to be afraid about anything if you believe it. 
You don't have to ever have control over the people and the things in your life if you believe this text. I certainly believe it's true, but I know I waver in my belief of it. And I would guess you're in the same place. So it's important that we understand the text liberates. It guides us. We can be comforted by it. We can rest in it. We can enjoy the blessings from God with grateful hearts and a soul and a mind at peace, with with a heart full of joy, with a life full of joy, if you believe it. You're not going to find it anywhere else. You're not going to find it in the condition of your life circumstances. It's found knowing God is my shepherd and he's with me. He has everything I need and he's here right now leading me. So let's read it. Let's read the text. And I want you to notice there's a horizontal proclamation that David's making about who his God is. And then he offers up this prayer to God. He speaks directly to him. And then he goes back to this proclaiming truth. So this is, this is very personal, but it's to be done in community. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's beauty here. Perhaps you've heard it quoted in songs even by secular artists, Pink, Megadeth, Kanye West, before he was a Christian rapper. This is a very well-known passage of scripture beyond the church in the secular world. People take it out of context. People cling to it like it's true for them. But I want to tell you straight up, it's not true for you if you don't believe it. If you're not a sheep, the Lord is not your shepherd. And we have to wrestle with that tension. It's beautiful if it's true for you. I hope you feel the emphasis. I'm going to walk through it verse by verse, and I'm going to make some applications. It's kind of in a direction that I didn't necessarily expect, but I think it's necessary for us this morning. So let's let's really understand what's going on in this very familiar text. Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. So Yahweh, Yahweh is the one shepherding me, is this proclamation. And this is major, so I want to make sure we get Yahweh is my shepherd. Remember Moses, Moses, little baby that was down the Nile River taken in by the Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh said, okay, you can make him a part of the family. He grew up as royalty in Egypt, the most powerful nation on the face of the earth. He grew up as royalty, but he was a Hebrew, and his people were slaves in Egypt. And when he realized this, he got angry, he killed a guy, and ran away. And in the wilderness, he met a family of shepherds. He married Zipporah, whose father was a shepherd. So he was looking after his, father, his father-in-law's sheep, familiar now what it means to be a shepherd, and he's 
going towards the mountain of God. It says he's on the west side. This is Exodus chapter 3. He's on the west side of the wilderness. I don't know what that is. West side. He's on the west side of the wilderness near the mountain of God. And he, he hears his name being shouted out by a familiar voice, but one he's never heard before. And he sees a bush on fire, but not being consumed. And it's the voice of God talking to Moses, a shepherd, a murderer, a Hebrew, son of slaves, grew up not even knowing who he is, all kinds of identity crisis. Now he's married into a family far from his own. And God calls his name and he says, Moses, you're going to deliver my people from Egypt. And Moses is like, me? Are you going to send me to go? And he says, yes. And Moses is like, I can't do it. I'm paraphrasing. Hopefully you know that. And and God says to Moses, I'm the God of Abraham, Jacob, Isaac. I am your God, and I'm sending you. And Moses says, I can't do it. And he says, I'll be with you. I'm going with you. So understandably, Moses says, well, who are you? <laughs> I hear you're the God of Jacob, but what does that matter to me? What do I tell them? Who, who do I tell them sent me? And what does God say? I am who I am sends you. I am sends you. This is, this is, we translated I am, this is the Hebrew word Yahweh, the same word David uses in Psalm 23. Yahweh is my shepherd, the covenant maker and covenant keeper, the sovereign God of all creation, the God of Israel, the one who cannot lack, the one who cannot be wrong, the one who's never failed, the one who is with you is Yahweh. So when David says Yahweh is my shepherd, It means something. The Lord is leading me. He says, I don't know who you follow. I don't know who's feeding you. I don't know who's preparing your way, who's taking you on your paths. I don't know who's protecting you and beating off your enemies. But my shepherd is Yahweh. That's meaningful. Don't miss it and just read it as familiar. Yahweh is my shepherd. The powerful imagery is consistent throughout If we remember, Yahweh is leading us. The reason all the things that follow are true is because Yahweh. So I shall not want. Having no want is not having everything you want. Having no want is having no lack. It's holistic well-being. It's physically, emotionally, spiritually, I have everything I need to be healthy. I don't necessarily know what those things are, but I have them because Yahweh is my shepherd and my shepherd provides everything you need. You have it. It's given to you by the one who knows what you need better than you know it. And in the rest of this text, we see those needs are rest and food and water and correction and guidance and protection. He's got it in abundance with ease. And if you're his sheep, it's yours because he's with you. Yahweh is my shepherd. Then he tells us what that's like. Verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Otherwise, we wouldn't lie down. He leads me beside still waters. Because otherwise, we wouldn't know where to find them. So maybe you've seen the Middle East, I don't know, in pictures or on the news, or maybe you've been there. It's kind of a dry place. There's not a lot of green pastures. In fact, they're really seasonal. There's times when you can find green pasture, and there's times where the place is barren. But somehow this shepherd knows where they are when no one else does. And he leads us there 
and he makes us lie down in the green pastures and drink from the still waters. There's peace there. The language is intentional. There's peace there. And, and family can be draining. Life can be draining. We need sustenance. We don't always know where to find it. Let's just make this very personal. Is anybody feeling exhausted? Anybody feeling thirsty, a little parched? Anybody hungry? Not literally. Don't start thinking about lunch. But you're hungry for something. You, f- you sense the lacking. Anybody tired? Well, our shepherd knows where the green pastures are, and he'll make us lie down in them. He knows where the still water is, and, and we can have water that's living and thirst no more. The world leaves us exhausted, but our shepherd has everything we need. He's taking us where we need to go. In fact, even if you're too restless to rest, he'll make you rest. He'll kick your feet out from under you, if that's what it takes for you to rest in him. And in doing this, verse 3, he restores my soul. I love this line. He restores my soul. We have this impossible need, restoration. It's impossible. We're so broken. We're so fallen. Sin has cursed this world and everyone born into it from any man who's ever lived. You're born into sin. And we're broken and helpless and hopeless, but there's one who can do impossible things. There's one who has the power to restore, and he does it. He restores our soul. This is salvation. This is the, res- the reversal of the fall. This is restoring the intimate relationship we had with the creator in the garden and has since lost it. It's turning from sin and the ins- insufficient things of the world and turning to the God who satisfies the restore of the soul. He's with us. He doesn't just restore you and leave you to be, but he leads you in paths of righteousness. He makes you his, and then he shows you where to go because you and me, we're prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. I'm going to wander. I'm prone to leave the God we love. I'm prone to leave him. It's going to happen. But he brings me back again and again to this path of righteousness as sheep. We follow whoever's leading us. So if you, if you lean your eyes either direction, you'll follow whoever's in front of you. And God, the faithful shepherd, will bring you back again and again because he saved you and he's going to bring you back. Though Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way. Though that's true, the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquities of us all. We don't know where to go. He has stepped in to lead us the right way, the righteous way. The most direct path to our destination is following Jesus, and it goes through the cross. Ephesians 2 tells us this is about grace. We've gotten this freely. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. He gave it to us freely. And Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're going to walk in them. By grace, through faith, he saved us for good works, and then he prepared them in front of us, and then he leads us down it. He's doing all the work. Do you trust him? Will you follow him? It's all by grace. So if your life says 
to the world that's watching. I live righteously. Hopefully your mouth says, God led me here. Otherwise, you're a Pharisee. It's all by grace. So praise him for it. Worship him for it. And I believe worship looks like following. It looks like obedience in all of life. It looks like trusting, praising him, being thankful because you know who he is and you know he's with you. So we follow. We trust him because we're just sheep. We're prone to wonder. Verse 4. Oh, actually, let's not miss this. I can't believe I skipped this. For his name's sake. That's an important line that I didn't read. It's for his name's sake. We, we reveal his character. We reveal the kingdom of God when we're obedient, when we follow, when we worship. And it's all for God's glory. It's for our good, surely, but ultimately for his name's sake. Our following displays grace and power to the world that needs to know there's a God who restores souls. For his namesake, for his glory. Verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. To be clear, he's leading us. And the path we're on leads through the valley of the shadow of death. A valley where the shadows are so dark, it feels like death. That's where our faith is tested. That's where we're truly dependent on our shepherd. That's where we can't see where we're going, so we have to keep moving this way. And you might fear, you might see it, you might feel it creeping up inside of you, but your shepherd knows what you need. He's got you. He's brought you here. It may not make sense to us that these paths of righteousness would travel this way, but there's significance here. The valley of the shadow of death has purpose. It's going to hurt Sometimes sanctification hurts. It's not going to be what you want. Sanctification is not always what you think it's going to be. And you may be tempted to be afraid or go a different direction or run another direction. But remember, there's no need to be afraid. Not only is he leading us, but he brought us here. That's significant. He brought you into this valley. And his rod and his staff, they'll comfort you. The shepherd uses his rod to fight off predators. Sometimes he, he even has to discipline in love his sheep with his rod. And he uses his staff to pull us back in, to guide us along, to tap us when we're going off a little bit. The shepherd's rod and his staff are important tools. Dr. Tony Evans says, When life takes you through the darkest valley, receive conciliation knowing that your divine shepherd has power in one hand and grace in the other. He's got you. Verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. God is hosting a meal for us now. And he's invited us in. Sit at my table. I'm going to prepare it in front of you. And, and apparently, evidently, the enemy is powerless against us. Whether they're bound up, and this is a victory feast, or they're too afraid to come close. Whatever the case, they're around us and we're not worried about them because we're at a feast with our Lord. We're sitting at the table. The table's been made for you. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Both these are symbols indicating a lavishness, a happiness for the guests. Oil is this costly, meaningful, fragrant thing. It can, it can cause 
uh, or it can be a preventative in some cases. It can keep you from getting lice or fleas or, or medication for some ailments. It, there's a lot that oil could be, but what's certain is the language of this text shows he's pouring it out onto us. He cares so much to take care of us. And the, and the cup we have is overflowing. It's, it's an abundance. So there's care, there's honor, there's love, there's joy. We belong here. My cup is not just full, it overflows. One, one commentary said a Jewish, a Jewish tradition is when you're invited to someone's house, they will keep filling your cup. A good host keeps filling your cup so you know you're welcome to stay. Keep drinking. And the cup has wine in it, so I don't know how you feel about that. But there's joy here. We're going to celebrate. We're going to drink deeply and enjoy this. And they keep filling the cup. And when they stop, cup's running low, that's a sign the party's coming to a close. You may need to make your exit. I kind of like that. But our cup is not only full, it overflows. It's more than enough. What he's communicating to us is, you're welcome here, and you're going to always be welcome here. This place is for you. You belong. I don't know if you felt like you've never belonged somewhere, but you belong at this table. You belong at this feast. This Thanksgiving will be full of joy and nothing else. Celebrate with me. I want you here. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, this, this passage translates more directly, your cup intoxicates me. It's not just a full cup. It's not just abundance. I don't want to be anywhere else. I'm captivated. I'm obsessed with you and your presence. I want to be here. And all of this is indicative of something verse 6 tells us. Surely, goodness and mercy. This mercy, this, this word is has said, maybe you've heard it, this word is a steadfast love, and usually it's translated a loving kindness. The loving kindness of the Lord is a covenantal love for his people. It's a bond that cannot be broken, and if you go back on it, I'm coming after you. So it's so really, this shall follow me, goodness and mercy shall follow me, translates better, pursues me. It's a military term or hunting term. I, I can be certain, this verse says, I can be certain his goodness and his covenantal love will come after me like a bloodhound. It's coming after me all the days of my life, even if I wander. He's coming after me, surely. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and forevermore. So foremost, I think this, this line speaks to our here and now. Forever is certainly eternity. We're going to dwell in his house forever, and it's a big, big house with lots and lots of room. There's a big, big table with lots and lots of food. There's even like a big, big yard. We could play football. It's a song if you didn't know. We're going to dwell in his house forever. But it also means not just eternity, but all my days here. From this point forward, all these days, I'm with him. I'm at his table. I don't have any want. There's nothing I lack. He's with me. It feels dark sometimes. I'm in the valley. I can't see where I'm going. It hurts. But he's with me now, right now, 
I'm sitting at his table. His oil is on my head. My cup is overflowing. Right now, you believe it. Our God is with us. We have no reason to be afraid of anything. Our enemies all around us, but who cares? I'm with God. I'm with Yahweh. He's mine and I'm his forever. It's beautiful. And it's true for you if you believe it. His goodness, his mercy pursues you if you don't believe it. It's so hopeful. Your shepherd is not surprised when you don't believe it. Because though this is beautiful, let's be honest when when we make the application. I shall not want, but the truth is I want all the time. I constantly feel like I'm lacking. I constantly feel like I don't have everything I need. I constantly feel like I need to take it into my own hands and control everything around me and make sure the pieces are where they should be and make sure she shuts her mouth when she shuts her mouth. I'm not talking about my wife in case you thought she was somebody else. I got to make sure everything goes my way. I got to make sure everything's in my control because if it's not, I'm terrified. So I fear no evil is a lie. I'm terrified. I'm so afraid. My cup overflows. Well, not all the time. Sometimes it feels very empty. Sometimes it feels like God wants me to leave. I feel like I'm not welcome at his table. I feel like I don't deserve to be at his table. And when you don't believe it, his goodness and his mercy pursues. He's not disappointed. Hear me. Hear me, church. God is not disappointed in you. Your shepherd is not surprised when his sheep wander. Your father is not frustrated in your failures because he's a perfect father. He's a good father. But even bad fathers, even bad fathers don't hate their children. They're just broken, and they don't know how to love. In fact, when my son sins, I'm grieved because I don't want him to sin. Sometimes it's because he's disturbing the the kingdom of Kendrick. And I don't want him to sin. But ultimately, he's an enemy of the kingdom of God. And I don't want him to sin. So it grieves me. Likewise, our father is certainly grieved by our sin. But he doesn't hate you if you're his sheep. He's good. So hear him say instead, son and daughter, I'm keeping the covenant. Son and daughter, you don't need to prove anything. You don't need to wander seeking satisfaction anywhere else. You don't need to be afraid, even in the valley of death. You don't need to be in control because I am. He says, I am. I'm leading you, I'm feeding you, I'm your shepherd, and I've got this. Follow me, worship me. I'll lead you in paths of righteousness. I'll make you rest. I'll comfort you with my power and grace. I'll restore your soul. And if that's not music to your ears, if that's not music to your soul, then I would suggest you don't believe it's true. 
I've been a shepherd for a while. Um, not super long, but long enough to understand sheep pretty well. Don't take this personally. But sometimes sheep don't make the best company. It can be lonely being a shepherd sometimes. Sometimes they may look sweet and fluffy, but sheep bite and they stink like manure. They, they're very, very needy, sheep are. They can't do anything for themselves. They're very needy. They're prone to wander, and it's constant work. It's constant expenditure of energy. It's a labor of love. And you can give them everything they need. You can devote your life. You can devote your livelihood. You can take pay cut after pay cut just to make sure the flock stays together. You can give everything and still your sheep may leave. And they'll go talk trash to the sheep of other flock. Sometimes they're not even sheep. They're just wearing a wool coat. And they have sharp teeth. And they'll talk the sheep talk and walk the sheep walk and make you believe they're sheep just so you keep them close. And then they attack, and it hurts. People are messy. Excuse me. Sheep are messy. And sometimes shepherds get trampled, and they burn out. They just can't do it anymore. In fact, all too frequently, shepherds burn out and just can't do it anymore. You know, I think that that's a bad perspective of what it means to be a shepherd. I think that's an honest one at times. But there's more to God's design for shepherding, and we find it in the New Testament. Yes, pastors are shepherds, but it seems evident to me that Scripture points to a greater shepherd, a greater need. Though David is a king, even the greatest men are still sheep. And David sees that, submitting himself to a good shepherd. There's only one shepherd. In John chapter 10, Jesus speaks often of being the good shepherd. This is this, the good shepherd passage. And he says in verse 10, I just want to point this, these two verses out. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. He knows thieves. He knows what wants to destroy the sheep. But I have come so that they, the sheep, may have life and have it in abundance, so that your cup will overflow. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. So I read that because I want you to see, first, Jesus is the shepherd, but also the path he requires us to walk on is one of sacrifice. Following Jesus as a shepherd means laying down your life. We must deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow as faithful sheep. You can sense that the metaphor might be breaking down some, but just stay with it. There are some who are called and appointed to lead the sheep as kind of lead sheep, leaders of the sheep, head sheep, but submitting to the the shepherd, they're shepherds, or we call them under-shepherds, equipping and encouraging and serving the other sheep as leaders. But the whole flock is to be about this work of ministry. The whole flock is responsible for the flock. All the sheep need to know how to shepherd. And that's very clear in in Ephesians chapter 4. 
verses 11 through 16, Paul's, Paul's explaining it to the Ephesians. He says, and he, talking about God himself, gives some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, which is a shepherd, and teachers, which is the responsibility of all of those. Equipping the saints, the sheep, for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's, by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be children, little lambs, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human uh, cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit, but speaking the truth in love, that's shepherding with words, let us grow in every way into him who is the head shepherd, Christ. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body. Everybody helping everybody grow and the body grows for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual sheep. So did you catch it? You, saint, you, member of the body, sheep, you are to be equipping or to be equipped for the shepherding of the sheep, for the building up of the body, for ministering to one another. We're all ministers of reconciliation if we know reconciliation. And you share in the shepherding as we submit to the good shepherd the head of the church, the head of the body. And Hebrews chapter 13 speaks to this, verses 20 through 21. Now, may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, he's raised from the dead now, enabling all of these things, the great shepherd of the sheep. I didn't add that one in there. It's just there. The great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, the covenant keeper, Yahweh, has made this possible Equip you for everything good to do his will. He's giving us everything we need to do what he's called us to do. Working in us with his pleasing or with what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He's working in us to work through us to the glory of Jesus. To the glory of God, the people of God are called to do the good works he's done. He's prepared ahead of us to do that we might walk in them following the good shepherd all the way into the valley where it's hard to follow, but we keep following, knowing we're being sanctified because there's a feast for us, and we're there right now, though we're not yet there because this gospel is true already, though it's not yet complete, and he's faithful forever and ever. Amen. We are the body of Christ. We are the body of the shepherd, if you don't mind the mixing of the metaphors. So we have been saved from something, for something, and to someone. We've been saved with purpose. Jesus is leading us to something and there's work to do along the way. May it be refreshing to you when you read this psalm because it's good for restoring your soul. May you feel it personally, but I hope you also feel the responsibility as a believer, as a member of a local body. If not this one, then somewhere, please. Because following Jesus means we're doing the work of shepherds. We're making disciples, and it may require 
giving up your life physically, but at the very least, it requires laying down your life because you no longer live it for you. You live it for him. And let us lead and protect one another. Let us provide rest for one another. Let us walk in righteousness together. Let let it be true of us that we're partying with full cups, celebrating the joy with thanksgiving, sitting in the presence of our Lord. May it be that that the world can see this in us and desire to join in, that our cup overflows so much that the other sheep can have some. And we can go after our long-lost brothers and sisters with rod and staff in hand, rescuing them, bringing them back into the fold to the glory of our King. That's the calling of the church. Submitting to the shepherd, shepherding one another, being a witness to the world that we have a good shepherd. Let's pray. Father, I'm so grateful for your word. I pray that it speak to us beyond knowledge, but into our souls. Lord, change something. God, if there are sheep who have gone astray here today, if there are those who are far from you of another flock, good shepherd, would you bring them home? Would you use us to do it, that we could share in the joy of seeing your kingdom grow? Lord, save souls today. And God, for us who struggle to believe the truth of Psalm 23, make it true for us today. As we sing songs, as we take communion, as we sacrifice, as we love, as we overcome, let it all be in light of your grace, to your glory, that a watching world would know we have a good, gracious, powerful God. In Jesus' name, amen.